0: July 1996. A family of German tourists sets out on a trip to the west coast of the United States of America, ending up in Death Valley on the California-Nevada border. They are never seen alive again. 16 years later, searchers find the remains of two. This is the story of the Death Valley Germans. sources for this episode include otherhand.org, strangeoutdoors.com, the Paramp Valley Times and Eminence Front X5 on YouTube. Hi guys, welcome back to episode 21 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of missing and murdered travellers abroad. I hope you've had a good week. I've had a very busy week and it's Friday night here in Melbourne. And I'm quite weary, but I'm sticking to this schedule and I'm doing this story and I'm sure that I won't be weary once we get into it. So just a few things for housekeeping before I get into the case of the Death Valley Germans. Um... On Instagram this week, I put up a picture of myself on the Unknown Passage pod profile and I asked people to introduce themselves and say, you know, a quirky fact about themselves or something. And it was really nice to have people commenting from all corners of the globe, um, you know, what they do, what they're into. Um, some of them have histories in criminology or law enforcement. So it was really cool to kind of get to know a few on a first name basis. And um, Secondly, Louise Curtin, who I covered a few episodes back, the English girl that has been missing, presumed dead in Germany um, since I believe 2001 from memory. She's actually back in the news this week. I was actually loading the sources onto the Unknown Passage podcast website and I was just bringing up the sources and I noticed all of a sudden after like 10 years, there's new Name like new news articles with Louise Curtin's name, um, getting her name back out there, you know, with her father speaking, and that was really strange because I only covered it a couple of weeks ago, and then it was years before that there was ever any kind of interview with Phil Curtin or anything again. So, check that out. It was essentially just querying whether or not the new suspect in the Madeleine McCann disappearance, um, the German guy, I can't think of his name, whether or not he might be involved. It seems like a long shot. Germany's a big place and he seems like, um, I don't know, I really don't know enough about him. I don't think anyone does yet. Secondly, um, weirdly again, but not weirdly, because there always seems to be conflict, we covered the disappearance of Alison McDonald. A couple of weeks ago in Kashmir. Kashmir has had a really rough week, the worst one in a little while. Um, Lots of fighting on the border that is disputed between China and India and a lot of soldiers killed. Um, Definitely look up the news of that if kind of news about Kashmir and this ongoing fight that I went into in the Alison MacDonald case a little bit If that interests you, um, it seems really brutal, um, what I was reading about it anyway. So I think that's it for this week, um, Housekeeping. I'll just get into the episode because it takes place in one of the most inhospitable landscapes on the planet, really. Um, And I think that you'll be really interested in it. So let's get into it. So, this is the story of the Death Valley Germans, and this was a story I came across when I was trying to find a solved case. Um, Even though it is, there's a few mysteries left in it, it is mostly solved, and it's a little bit different to the solved cases we've done so far. Not only is it a whole family, um, it's not actually at the hands of someone else, it's at the hands of, you know, the elements, so to speak. So, let's get into it. The Death Valley Germans is just the term that the media really used to describe them. It's kind of a bit of a throwaway um, term, but really, I mean, it's a headline. Um, It's for headlines, really. It's an attention grabber. The Death Valley Germans were a blended family of four. They consisted of 34-year-old Egbert Rimkus He was a architect back in Germany and he had an 11-year-old son from a previous marriage and his name was George. Now, Egbert had a 27-year-old girlfriend, Cornelia. Um, She went by Connie. So I'll just call her that for the remainder of the episode. She had a four-year-old son, Max, from a previous relationship. So there's Egbert and his son, George, and Connie and her son, Max. So I'm not sure honestly, with this case, there is one picture out there of Egbert and his son and one picture of Connie and her son. It's crazy. I could not find any more. I think it's to do with kind of the family wanting more privacy. Um, but it's really strange because they were missing for a long time. You'd think there'd be more out there um, because for a while they did think that these people had faked their own disappearance. So I'm just surprised that I can't find any. So maybe if you can find some and point me in the right direction. Um, but there's no information on what Connie did, anything about the their past. I couldn't even find information on their family's names, anything like that, um, or how long Egbert and Connie had been together for back in Germany. All we do know is that they were from Dresden, Um, which is a historic city in Germany that is really most famous for, it was essentially flattened during World War II. Um, So according to the Parham Valley Times, Egbert was, quote, a go-getter and adventurer, unquote. And that was a quote from his ex-wife who I think he was still on pretty good terms with um, and she'll come into play in a little bit. She also called him, quote, unpredictable and clever enough to think up any number of schemes, unquote, which kind of sounds a little bit um, sorted maybe, but I think she just means it in a positive way that he would always find a way to get by. So in early July 1996, Egbert and his son George and Connie and her son Max, the group of four, they flew into the United States from Germany They were there for a holiday that was meant to be for about three weeks, although I don't know the exact date. They flew in in early July 96. They flew essentially into LA, um, I think it was via Seattle, but We don't really have a whole lot of information about what they did leading up to their disappearance, especially not when they got to LA, but I do know from my research that they went down to Southern California to the San Clemente area. From what I can piece together, they were really just interested in seeing kind of the the desert landscape of um, California and Nevada, not so much the glitz and glamour of maybe Las Vegas and Los Angeles. It's They just don't seem like those kinds of people. Um, so from Southern California, they then drove to Las Vegas um, in a rental car that they picked up in Los Angeles. Now in Vegas, they stayed at the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino, but I assume either they kind of lost interest in Vegas when they got there or the novelty wore off. No one has really said that, but that's kind of what I assume because their next kind of steps weren't planned and that's what kind of threw a spanner in the works when they went missing. But the family essentially set out to explore the wilds of the state of Nevada instead Um, which isn't something that you really just go and do on a spur of the moment. And anybody who knows this area will tell you that straight up. And that is one of the reasons why this case, I find it really frustrating, Um, just on a human level, the choices that they made, especially with little kids. But I'll let you decide on that. So on July 22nd, 1996, the family travelled from Las Vegas to Death Valley. And I'll get into Death Valley in a little bit. They travelled in their rental car that they had from LA and they were going to return it back to LA um, before they flew out. And they bought a booklet on the area, on the Death Valley area, from the Furnace Creek Visitor Centre. Now, this is, I've kind of pieced this together from a couple of different articles. Some skim the surface. One said that they camped, but then when I kind of dug deeper, it said they actually camped out that night in their rental car. Now the rental car I should say is a minivan um, and it is not designed to be in an area like this. So the following day after camping out in a canyon, it's a very kind of desolate area in their minivan, the group of four, they decide to visit a number of different Um, well-trafficked tourist destinations. Now, I'm not familiar with Death Valley, so I had to do a a fair bit of research into this area and what these particular sites are, because when I was reading the articles, I was a bit confused, you know, um, by what was in these kind of mining camps and in these houses. But essentially, I ended up watching a bunch of YouTube videos, which I will um reference shortly and they actually did like a drive it was um his name's eminence front x5 on youtube and he and his friend um trace a route the route of the death valley germans and they actually take you out there her name is wonder hussy and she's on youtube and instagram as well and they're both just really cool interesting people they go they have, they have their own youtubes and they go out to these different kind of desolate historical areas. And it's just really cool. It's not an area I don't know if I'll ever visit it, but the way that they present it, they're both just really well-informed people who are interested in these things. And if it wasn't for their videos on the Death Valley Germans, I would not be able to picture these places, but they actually stop at each spot. It's really cool. So I will include that in the sources links on the website. But essentially, on that day, they visited these various visitor-friendly sites on July 23rd, 1996. Connie signed her name in a visitor book at an abandoned mining camp. So that's how they were kind of able to know where to start tracking them. Um, they also stopped off at the at a... It's called the Geologist Cabin. Um, it's in Warm Springs Canyon. Now, this cabin is kind of it's a good system. I didn't realise that these things were set up, but it's essentially got um, kind of dry foods and canned goods and bedding and things in there for if people get stuck while they're out, you know, driving around Death Valley and exploring these areas. Um, and that will come into play in a little bit, but they stopped off there. And it also provides shelter because um, <laughs> at the time that the family visited Death Valley, the temperature was a high of 51, um, which is 124 Fahrenheit or 51 Celsius. And as an Australian, we get up to like 47, 48. That's the worst summer um, I can remember. And we had really bad bushfires that summer. It was about 10 years ago. We generally get up to like 42, 43 in summer here in Melbourne. 51 is like a whole other level of hell. And it's just too hot to be out with children, like as far as I'm concerned in these areas when um eminex Eminence front X Five and Wonder Hussey were out there it was i think it was winter it started to rain, they were like rugged up, but then it's the whole other extreme when it's summer, and I just would not be going there in summer it's it apparently it it's next to the Sahara in terms of the hottest places on earth um And if you get stuck, which will unfortunately happen to the Death Valley Germans, like you're essentially screwed if you're not near one of these cabins. So essentially the Germans' plan was to get to Yosemite National Park, which is kind of over on the California side of the border. Death Valley sits on the California-Nevada border. They were running out of time and in a few days, they were due to fly back to Germany. So they were really pressing it for time. Um, and they needed to continue, like essentially they needed to, or in their minds, they needed to pass this really desolate pass, which no one even uses. And that's why I suggest watching this YouTube video to actually see it for yourself. Most tourists are not going out there or ranges or anything like that. Um, but they thought that they would kind of push through to get through this pass. The Paramount Valley Times called Egbert, quote, low on cash, short on time, poorly stocked and unprepared, unquote. He was essentially driving this whole thing. So the minifan was now entering an area that it absolutely stood no chance in. And as the Germans continued on, despite the fact that they could have stayed in one of the volunteer cabins they'd visited, which were only a few miles back, they were rushing to get over this pass that they thought would get them kind of quicker to Yosemite National Park, visit that. They're kind of doing this fast track trip, which is kind of the least enjoyable way to do it. And I'm sure in their last moments, they really regretted these choices because as Wonder Hussie said on her YouTube video, they were doing it like so they didn't miss their flight home. And what does that matter when, you know, your life is at stake? And I honestly don't feel that sorry for the adults in this. I do for the children. They were along for the ride and it's just crappy decision-making on the, you know, the parents' parts really, um, and making dangerous decisions. If they were on their own, it'd be different. But Essentially um also on the Eminence Front X5 video um that he kinda traced this with Wonder Hussey out on YouTube, Wonder Hussey actually talked about how Charles Manson and his family once lived on a ranch called Barker Ranch, which I knew about, but I thought it was on the California side but it's actually like just a couple of miles from this spot. And if you know kind of Charles Manson's story with the Manson family in the lead up to the murders that they did and ending up on the ranch kind of just outside of LA, they actually like kind of mooched around on different people's ranches in California and Nevada, and they actually stole like a school bus. Anyway, they got this bus up to this ranch, but Charles Manson like couldn't even get it back down because of how treacherous the conditions were. So apparently the bus is still up there on Barker Ranch. So yeah. Um so also on his video on YouTube, he discusses what they did wrong and what they should have done. But even he says the issue is that his GPS, when he's out in that area, tells him that there's roads. That don't even exist anymore, or there's roads that aren't even there anymore. This particular area of Death Valley was once um, kind of a thriving mining town in the 1800s, a mining kind of area, but the roads that led to that were shut down when mining was shut down, and that was like 100 years ago. So essentially, they're just non-existent roads anymore, but for some reason, they still show up on GPSs. Now, the minivan was due back in LA on July 26 to be returned to the rental car agency. And the family was due to fly home to Germany the following day on July twenty seventh. Now, I've already gone into Death Valley a little bit, but I just want to give you kind of an idea of the scope and size of this place and what the conditions are out there. So, Death Valley, it's essentially a desert valley. Um, it's 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 technically on the border, on the California side of the border, um, in eastern California, but it really sits right near the border of Nevada. Now, it's east of the Sierra Nevada mountains in the northern Mojave Desert, which borders the Great Basin Desert. So this is a very kind of desolate place, and it's only a few hours drive from Los Angeles, really, which is crazy. As I said, it's one of the hottest places in the world. And it has one of the lowest elevations in North America. Now, it actually had the highest recorded ever temperature um, in the United States. Um, The temperature hit 56.7. Um, which is 134 Fahrenheit. And that was in 1913. But still, when the Germans were there, it was still like 51 degrees. So it's really not far off that. But then again, that five degrees is probably, you probably feel every degree that goes up. Um, that was in 1913 and that was around this area at a place called Furnace Creek, um, which is a pretty fitting name. And um, it's the highest ambient air temperature ever recorded at the surface of the earth. So it's, yeah, like it's crazy. Um, that was July 10th. So it's actually around the time that they visited, but, you know, almost a hundred years before. Death Valley covers an area of about 3,000 square miles, which is about 7,800 square kilometers. It is a massive area. And I looked into how long it takes someone to die um, in Death Valley from dehydration and the heat in the height of summer. It takes about two days for a hydrated adult male, um, adult human, sorry, to succumb to dehydration. Um, and that is from you know, when you're completely hydrated to death. Um, And for children, it is far less. Um, I have a massive issue with heat. I don't think I would last two days. Um, I have a condition where I would, I think I'd be dead within hours. Um, And uh, I just, it's like my idea of hell. It's like burning alive. So when the family didn't return on their flight to Germany, the alarm was actually raised by Egbert's ex-wife, which is George's mother. Her name's Heike. On July 31st, the travel agency that essentially booked the trip from Germany, they contacted the US car rental agency that the group had used because it had all been organized by this agency in Germany. The car rental agency looked into it, and they actually ended up reporting the car as stolen because that's how it looked to them. They couldn't find any leads on where it was. Um, Essentially, you can pick it up in one city and drop it off in another, or pick it up in one city and return it to that one on your way home. And they, in 1996, I don't think they had a GPS to track it. But when it showed up, no leads, not only was it reported as stolen, to the LAPD, but Interpol was also alerted because it was for international visitors who at the time they thought that they'd done a runner and, you know, had were faking their own disappearances. Um, and then some people thought that maybe they met with foul play. Nobody at this point knew where they had gone in Death Valley. I don't even think people knew that they'd left Vegas at this point. So that was July 31st it took until October 21st, almost three months later, to locate the rental car by helicopter. And this was completely by chance. I looked up how they managed it and they were actually looking for illegal drug labs, which are apparently run and, you know, orchestrated out in Death Valley. And they came across, they located the car from the helicopter and it's in an area of Death Valley called Anvil Canyon. So, There are photos of this and I will put it on Instagram, but they essentially were able to tell search and rescue. They went down to the car and a number of things stood out to the people immediately. One was that the car was a minivan, which I talked about. You require a four-wheel drive to deal in this kind of terrain and even then it's rough. A minivan would literally stand no chance. Secondly, the car was located in a protected area. There's no official road here and there's actually a ban on vehicles because it's like a kind of protected part of the National Park. When searchers got to the car, they found that three of its tyres were flat and the wheels were all damaged. Sand was built up around the vehicle, which you can see from the um, photos out there of the car, like it had been there for a while and the vehicle was locked. But despite the damage to the tyres and the wheels, they were able to tell that the car had been driven on the flat tiles, so essentially on the flat tyres, essentially just on the wheels for about two miles, which is 3.2 kilometres. The group's camera was in the car, and essentially looking at their photos, they were able to see the chronology of their US travels. There were no footprints near the car. Um, and the sand buildup around kind of the tyres and the base of the car suggested that it had been there for a while. There were some food wrappers found near the van, some faeces and some toilet paper. Different articles state different things, um, but this is from the Paramp Valley Times and they're a local, um, local news publication and they seem pretty on the money. Um, So the searchers opened the minivan doors and inside they found an American flag and on it, it said Butte Valley Stone Cabin. Now, this is kind of, think back to when I was talking about that geologist cabin, which is one of the cabins that has kind of the canned goods and dry goods where you can use a shelter until someone comes along to help you. Essentially, this flag was from that cabin. Um, It usually is flown outside the cabin, but it had been reported like a stolen and it was the Germans that had stolen it, which really rubbed me the wrong way when I was researching this because it's such a typical tourist thing, but just like don't do things like that. It's so disrespectful, but they had stolen it on some sort of whim because nobody else was there when they visited it. And that, that cabin is about 4.1 miles west from where the car was found. Now, um, the flag Is flown in front of that cabin to show it is occupied. Like when somebody is staying there or they need assistance or because park rangers do patrol these areas, they raise the flag to show that somebody is there and then they'll probably stop off and check on them. Um, So it's equally kind of dangerous for them to have stolen it on some sort of, you know, free spirited whim. Like it's, it's kind of irritating to me. But regardless, they were able to trace that they'd been there because they had stolen it. Now, according to the publication Stranger Outdoors... They also found two unopened bottles of Bud ice beer and one empty bottle and one three-quarter full bottle of bourbon, several empty large water and juice containers, luggage and clothing, several rolls of 35mm film and a Practica 35mm camera, one new Coleman sleeping bag in its box and one empty Coleman sleeping bag box, a tent, a pipe with tobacco a leather card carrier containing bank cards and a Citicorp credit card, a card from the Seahorse Resort in San Clemente, children's toys, an unused compact spare tire and jack, unquote. So essentially almost everything had been left behind, but there was no sign of the Death Valley Germans. So experts determined that Where the car was located at this particular time, on the last day that the group was known to be sighted when they visited that geologist cabin, it was around 42 degrees Celsius, which is 107 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's not a temperature you'll last particularly long in without water and beer's butter ice is really not going to tide you over. So, The vehicle was then removed from the canyon on October 23rd, 1996. And from then, 200 search and rescue members scoured the Death Valley landscape from air and ground for the family and found nothing except for a discarded beer bottle, which was a mile from the car. And it was, according to one article I saw, it was next to a seat print, like somebody had sat down and left kind of their butt imprint in the sand um, and then kind of, dug the beer bottle into the ground next to them. Although I find that confusing because it's, it can get quite windy out there. And I don't know how like your butt imprint would stay there, but I don't know, maybe it was in like a kind of sheltered area. So as you can probably guess, many conspiracies were raised about the Germans faking their own deaths, basically due to the lack of bodies or evidence of people at all. Um, I did read quite a lot of these, but in short, um, I'll, I'll just say that it went into kind of black ops, conspiracy theory, territory, government assassinations, foul play at the hands of, you know, wild, um, Valley people, like deliverance style, all crazy. Um, there's also a military base out this way, which I'll get into in a little bit and, that kind of made people think something was up. Like, I don't know, it's just people were going crazy. Um, it is like 7,000 square miles, um, 7,000 square kilometers area. So I just find it crazy that people jump to these conspiracy theories when the bodies could literally be anything, anywhere. And they could have walked for quite a long time. They could have walked for two days straight. So, in November 2009, 13 years after after the disappearance of the Death Valley Germans, the remains of the two adults were found by off-duty search and rescue volunteers, Tom Mahood and Les Walker. And they also found Connie's wallet while they were out there. So, Tom and Les are super cool. You can see a lot of photos of them if you look it up. They had kind of conducted searches by themselves in their spare time. Tom's actually from LA and he got really interested in the case and used to travel down to Death Valley because he was like, I'm going to find these people, the remains of them. He was so good at what he did. Um, and I think the police kind of felt a bit stood up by how good he was. Um, he was essentially able to trace their movements from their photos that were in their camera and then use logic to track what they logically would have done. Um, which, the search and rescue people kind of hadn't done. But I suggest looking up the kind of long form investigation into this um, from the Parham Valley Times, because it really goes into how he did it. He described this area, this particular part of Death Valley, quote, like the far side of the moon, unquote. And if you look up pictures of it, honestly, that is exactly what it looks like. I would be screwed out there. Like I've never been in a landscape like that, but no matter what direction you looked, everything would look the same. It's just vastness and there's no water. Like that's what would freak me out. There's no source anywhere. It is dry as, um, the bodies of the adults, Connie, um, and Egbert, they were found in a really isolated area called Gola Wash, which, um, the YouTuber I mentioned earlier, those two, they actually go out to this area. It's about eight miles from their minivan, so they actually made it that far. There was empty beer bottles and water containers that were found along the way, like they were kind of leaving them as breadcrumbs for who would eventually find them. Eight miles doesn't seem like a lot when you think about it, but that's a lot of ground to cover, like heading out eight miles in any direction looking for these people. Um, DNA was taken, but they really figured it was the family based on the fact that they were the only kind of people in a group that were missing in this area. But the children's remains were not found at that time. But later, bones that resembled the children's ones were actually found, but DNA was not able to be extracted because of how kind of dried out they were from the sun. But it is presumed that it is the two boys they did find the sole of one of the children's shoes. Now, according to a post um, from Tom, he actually posted it on Reddit because there's quite a lot of people who discuss this case in depth on Reddit and think Tom's super cool. Um, them finding the remains, Tom and Les, and they're older guys as well, it essentially like pissed off the local county police, which is Inyo County. Um, they didn't, they basically found out that they were going out and they told them not to go out looking anymore. It had been 13 years, so anyone's entitled to go out and kind of look for them, like if you haven't been able to find them. So when the Inyo County police suddenly found the children's bones not long after Tom and Les found the adults' bones, Tom asked the police where the children's bones were found because he assumed like they couldn't have been near the parents' bones because Tom and Les had completely traversed that whole area, like and there was no children's bones at all. But Like the police told him that they were found right near the parents, and Tom was like, That's bullshit. Like, because we have covered miles around those bones and there are no children's bones there. But whatever the answer is with that, I think the police are essentially just embarrassed they didn't do it with all the searches that they had, and it took this guy who's not even from that area to do it. Like, that kind of out of towner angst that some small town county police have. So many believe essentially the parents have a predictable way, like logical choices that they would have made that like they would have stayed on certain kind of going in certain directions and kind of making more logical choices. I'm trying to describe this the best way I can think, but the way that the person put it on Reddit, it made sense. But children, when they're dehydrated and dying of thirst and the fact that these kids were so young, they would have made less predictable choices, um, like in their direction or anything like that. They're not basing them on where they, you know, are we going uphill, downhill, anything like that. Bear in mind, this is an 11-year-old and a four-year-old. And I've thought a lot about, I just don't know which ones died first. Um... I think the children would have died first and the parents kept walking and that's why they weren't found together. Um, and I think they were found a long way from the parents, but the police lied. The poli- I think the parents, based on basic biology and anatomy and experts' opinions, the parents would have lasted um, up to two days and the children a lot less. So I think that's the sad, unfortunate thing. And the rest of their bones, they were either kind of taken by wild animals or maybe the parents buried them when they died, like along the way. I don't know. But essentially, the family didn't realise that they were woefully unprepared for this landscape until it was too late. Experts believe that they didn't even know they were as fucked as they were, pardon my French, until... Their final hours, essentially, and when the car gave out because they were essentially shredding the tires and driving on just their wheels, they set out at night on foot and they were probably doing that to kind of avoid the the day daytime sun. But they were probably, according to these YouTubers that went out there and most experts, they believed the Death Valley Germans were trying to return to the shelter of the geologist cabin that they'd been to before. However, because of this landscape and it being nighttime and the landscape looking so kind of similar, no matter what direction you look, They got really disoriented. Um, They believe that Egbert had found this military base, which is out that way. Um, And because they're from Germany, um, this is the way that Wonder Hussey explained it. But essentially because they're from Germany, most European military bases are manned and patrolled at all hours. So Egbert, being German, would have thought that once they got out there, there would be soldiers and people to help them. But that's not how American military bases are out that way. Usually there's no one there. So they would have kind of got to the perimeter thinking that there would be people there and there was just no one there. They walked miles. They've got to this military base but it's not like a patrolled base that's all kind of modern and lights on and stuff. There's really nothing there. It's just land that belongs to the military. And imagine getting all that way and then realizing no one was there and you were walking in the wrong direction, getting more and more dehydrated. You've drunk everything. You've also drunk beer because that's all you had. And that's probably making you more dehydrated. Like just the panic like, I can't even explain it. I hope that the children were comforted, you know, in their last, in their last moments. And I don't know what order that happened in. I'd really like you to get involved on Instagram and let me know what order you think things happened in. Um, but yeah. So to wrap up this episode, for some reason, Connie and Matt, uh, Connie and George, so Connie and then Egbert's son, George, they're both still listed as missing persons in America, um, which is super weird as they found Connie's bones, like they found two sets of adult bones. There's a lot of weird holes in this story. Egbert and Max are not listed as missing. Um, I think the reason that this is, is they just couldn't get enough DNA sample from Connie, Um, because her bones had been out in the elements for such a long time, Um, 13 years, and they were just bleached and dry and brittle. I can't imagine getting DNA from that. But then again, they got it from Egbert. So I don't know. Um, Germans commenting on the case on Reddit, they were kind of talking about it and I was eavesdropping Reddit style on their posts. Um, and they were saying that being German, the family wouldn't understand the inhospita- inhospitality of an area like this. And also how regular cars like the minivan they were driving would just not fly in an area like this. Most cars in Germany, they said, can drive on most roads, um, most regular cars. But this is not like an area with autobahns. This is like an area that's just not cut out for that. Even like, you know, a basic four wheel drive wouldn't cut it in this area. It would need to be like a total hog. Like it's, it's just crazy. Um, and it just wasn't a well thought out trip, this part of it. And I'm sure in their last moments, they regretted all of that. I find it particularly tragic, not only for the children. I don't know about Max's father. He's never mentioned at all. But George, um, Egbert's son, his mother lived for 13 years not knowing where he was, like thinking that his father had abducted him to America, probably thinking that he died um, died in Death Valley. Like how many things would have gone through her mind in 13 years? She was the one that reported them missing. It's just, I don't know. I found this case really frustrating for the adult's decisions. I could be a lot harsher, like normally if I'm trying to be, if I'm just being myself in normal conversation and I'm not being recorded, I'd be way less diplomatic about this. Um, And I think Egbert's to blame. Um, He was driving the whole trip. um, And I think that's kind of what eminence. X five on YouTube and Wonder Huzzy was saying as well, although they were less nice about it than I am. They were just saying it's just ridiculous, like choice. Um, but I mean, people make these choices, and if you want to go out to that area, there is no one stopping you, you know. And I just think it's, I just think it's very irresponsible to take two little children, particularly a four-year-old, out to this area in the middle of summer. Um, so yeah. So, if you ever go out to these areas, please follow guidelines and be well-read on, you know, what to do, what not to do, what to take, um, what can save your life, look up all the resources you can. And according to an interview with Someone, I can't remember, I think it was a Redditor. They were saying if you ever find yourself in a situation like this where you are out in the middle of nowhere and you're with your car, you should generally stay with your car. That's what they usually say. But if you ever find yourself in this situation, if you have a match or a lighter and some sort of accelerant, set your car's tires on fire. And I thought that I would include that because they send out a shitload of smoke and. Um, it will usually draw attention. Um, don't worry about your car or the cost of it. Just, you know, set fire to it because your life is worth more than that. So I hope that you liked this solved case. It's a bit depressing, but Death Valley is, looks incredible. I just wouldn't be going in the middle of summer, but it's an amazing landscape. There's really no other place on the planet like it. So I'd love to hear on the Instagram if you've ever been to Death Valley. Um, please follow Unknown Passage Pod on Instagram. Um, email any case suggestions or feedback to unknownpassagepodcast at gmail.com. Visit the website at unknownpassagepodcast.com. I upload after each episode the new episode. Page with all videos of the people I talk about, any photos I have, case synopsis. Um, I'm having an issue at the moment with my website where the last episode, Camelia Spencer, I've put up her episode page and it is live. It's just not coming up when you click into episodes. So you actually have to go to the navigation bar and go episodes by location and then go to the US and then click on her through there because. It's just not coming up on the main episodes page, unfortunately, and I'll do the same for the Death Valley Germans on the US page as well in the meantime until Squarespace can fix it. um, I think that's it. Please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. I actually have five, I have six five-star reviews at the moment on Apple Podcasts, which is so cool. And I just got a new, I think it's from Tony. I'm not sure. She's a a new listener and she loves the show. Um, she, or whoever it is, left another new really lovely review. So thank you so much. Um, next week's episode is a patron request. When you become a patron, which is another thing you can do if you want to become a Patreon, go to patreon.com slash you get to choose a country or location for an, the next episode and I will find a case that takes place there. So it was it's Yolanda's Choice next week and she's the newest patron and she requested one of my favourite countries on Earth, which is in Southeast Asia. I'm not going to say any more than that, but it is an unsolved case and I'll be releasing that in a few weeks, um, a few days, sorry. Pfft. I'm really tired. (laughs) It's Friday night and it's only 8.30 and I'm ready for bed. So until early next week, I hope you have a lovely weekend. Please recommend Unknown Passage podcast to any friends who like travel or missing persons podcasts or true crime. Um, I like having this little niche that nobody else has where it's only talking about people who are abroad, um, travelling abroad when something happens to them. It can't be in the same country, anything like that. That's my only stipulation. But yeah, next week's episode um, is kind of a bit of an island mystery. So until then, have a good weekend and we'll talk over on Instagram. Okay, bye.